Hello, Royals, and welcome back to This Day in History. I'm your host, Therese Shimkus. In case you missed Tuesday's episode, I highly recommend that you go back and listen now, as today we will be continuing our historical review of the film On the Waterfront. Picking up right where we left off with the beginning of filming, in the fall of 1953, the International Longshoremen's Association was expelled from the American Federation of Labor, thanks in part to the hearings and investigative news reports that have been largely aided by, you guessed it, Father Corridan. One unpleasant side effect of this development was that many longshoremen were left confused as to what followed. Ryan's thugs began to filter into the original New York filming location, so production was forced to move to the New Jersey city of Hoboken. Father Corridan, who was ultimately hired as a technical advisor to the film, was able to broker permission for them to shoot on Hoboken's Pier 1. Another thing that made the production's move to New Jersey possible was the ouster of corrupt mayor Fred DiCepio in favor of Mayor John Grogan, who was, for obvious reasons, very much so in favor of the message of the film. Despite these changes for the better, however, there was still a danger to the cast and crew of the film, and threats continued to be made on the actors and on Kazan, who ended up having to hire a bodyguard. He later recalled how hostile the atmosphere was while shooting, and, ironically, given the subject and messaging of the film, he had to pay off a few of the longshoremen he had hired as extras. But that wasn't all. Huak drama also came back to haunt the cast. As a very bizarre story goes, Rod Steiger, who played Terry Malloy's brother Charlie in the film, was very starstruck by Lee J. Cobb, and, as one does when one meets their Hollywood idol, he invited him to a spaghetti dinner. Cobb accepted the invitation, all well and good, until Steiger apparently learned in between extending the invitation and actually having the dinner that Cobb had appeared before Huak. This greatly shocked and displeased Steiger, but he felt like he needed to go ahead with the spaghetti dinner with his idol anyway, later calling it the longest hours of his life. Now this story, as entertaining as it is, is just likely a pack of lies invented by Steiger, as it is unreasonable in the extreme to believe that he had not actually known of Cobb's involvement with Huak, but the very fact that Steiger told such a story, whether or not it was true, demonstrates how cooperation with Huak continued to haunt production. Given all the drama created by Huak, and by actually being on the waterfront, you might think that the entire cast and crew was completely steeped in it. You would be wrong, however, as there was at least one figure in the making of On the Waterfront who was apparently oblivious to the drama, and that was actress Ava Marie Saint, who played Terry Malloy's love interest Edie and the brother of the longshoreman whose death begins the film. Her ignorance of what was going on around her might seem strange, but given that Edie is portrayed as a very feminine, innocent, and even angelic figure who was not immersed in the drama of The Waterfront, I found it very appropriate that the actress herself was something like her own character when it came to the real-life drama on The Waterfront. Another thing that might come as a slight surprise, given all this controversy and drama surrounding its making, the film was generally well-received when it came out, at least according to such publications as reviewed it. A review published in Variety praised the screenplay, the directing, the lighting, and the performances of the actors, giving special praise, which I thought was well-deserved, to the way in which Ava Marie Saint was able to play Edie as both innocent and removed, yet complex and three-dimensional. The New York Times also had a very positive review of the film, praising once again the director and the writer, but also the cameraman and the composer. The review also spoke favorably of Brando's shatteringly poignant performance, as well as the muscularly effective one of Cobb. In short, the whole project was termed to be movie-making of a rare and fine order. Other reviews seemed to concur, with the Herald Tribune calling it a director's triumph, and the Post calling it a credit to all who participated in its making. The Daily News awarded the film its highest rating of four stars, although it did criticize Brando for being unintelligible at times. Few publications strayed from this positive view of the film, but one of those that did was Time Magazine, which said that there was nothing of heroic, classic-style drama in the film. Other essays were more severe, some bringing up, predictably, the Huak testimonies of Kazan and Schulberg, and arguing that Malloy's testimony against Friendly was meant to parallel this. One man who had been named by Schulberg in front of Huak, John Henry Lawson, described the film as anti-democratic, anti-labor, anti-human propaganda, which was to be expected, in his mind at least, as it was concocted by men who wear the livery of the informer. These less-than-friendly comments bring up a question that I briefly touched upon on Tuesday's show, which is, 
Is the character of Taryn Malloy meant to be a justification of Kazan's testimony to Huak? In my research so far, I have seen a few state that this is an incredibly reductive way to look at the film. However, I do think we have to look at what Kazan himself said about the character of Taryn Malloy. Regarding the scene where Malloy screams at Friendly, I'm glad what I done. Kazan later told an interviewer, quote, That was me saying with identical heat that I was glad I testified as I had. I'd been stoked by friends each and every day for months. The scene in the film where Brando goes back to the waterfront to shape up again for employment and is rejected by men with whom he'd worked day after day, that too is my story now told to all the world. So when my critics say that I put my story and my feelings on the screen to justify my informing, they are right, unquote. Given everything we have seen so far and the way the context of the film relates to its content, and given that Kazan himself said that the film was intended to justify his actions, I think we can be safe in taking him at his word. That point settled, let's look at some more positive receptions to the film. At the 1955 Oscars, On the Waterfront scored 12 nominations and an impressive total of 8 wins, which were in the categories of Best Film, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Art Director, and Best Editing. Given, as I have stressed, the dual controversies of Huac and of Union Waterfront corruption and then all the little controversies that came from that, it is really remarkable to me that the film was so successful and is really just a testimony to how well it was made. So to wrap it up, as I have said, there are two main contextual elements that directly correspond to the content of On the Waterfront. The first one of those elements is the House Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, and the second is the real-life corruption that existed in unions and on waterfronts at the time. And I hope, as I've been able to make clear, the influence of these two elements can clearly be seen in numerous aspects of the film, from the film's story itself to the real-life drama on the set. And with that, thank you as always for listening, Royals, and have a great day.